Hi, I'm your host, Mo Litsky, and the CEO of Prime Quadrant. You're about to hear a conversation from our Lunches with Legends series, where we connect with some of the most illustrious business and investment leaders around the world. To learn more, check out our website, lunchswithlegends.com. Now, without uh, any further ado, I'd like to introduce our very special guest today, Mr. Steve Schwartzman, by sharing um, an abridged bio on Steve with you. So Steve Schwartzman is the chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Blackstone, a leading global investment firm with over half a trillion dollars in assets under management across private equity, real estate, hedge funds, credit, infrastructure, and life science businesses. In both business and philanthropy, Steve has focused on tackling major challenges with transformative solutions. And among his most notable gifts, he's established a new center at the University of Oxford to redefine humanities for the 21st century, created a new college at MIT studying artificial intelligence, and founded um, the highly prestigious international fellowship program, eponymously named, uh, the Schwarzman Scholars at the Tsinghua University in Beijing to educate future leaders about China. Steve is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Business Roundtable, the International Business Council of the World Economic Forum. And among his many honors and awards, he was named by Barron's as one of the world's best CEOs by Forbes as the top 50 most powerful people in the world, as well as Time's 100 most influential people. In 2019, Steve published his first book, What It Takes, Lessons uh, in the Pursuit of Excellence. And it is a New York Times bestseller, which I've thoroughly enjoyed and would strongly encourage each of you to get your copy uh, ASAP. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks a lot. Glad to be here. So I must tell you, I think the story of your formative years is, is I, I found it incredibly inspiring. And everything from you working in your father's linen store to being state champion in track to the transformative impact you had on your peers in the Army and the Ivy Leagues. So it's clear how your grit and your commitment and your creativity have uh, brought the global powerhouse of Blackstone into fruition. So perhaps we could start the conversation with those that impacted you. And, and maybe I could begin by asking, uh, what's the best piece of advice or wisdom that anyone has ever imparted on you? Well, there have been a, been a few. Uh, the first was, uh, don't drop out of Harvard Business School like I was thinking of doing. Uh, that's, um, that's one good piece of advice. I found it a little boring. Uh, you know, by Christmas of my first year. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I called my my previous employer, a guy named Dick Generat at Donaldson Lofkin Generat, which was a major securities firm, and told him I wanted to drop out. And he, he told me that he wanted to drop out also. He found it boring, and he was going to um, become... Uh, go to the economics school at Harvard and, and become a PhD. And he didn't, and it worked out fine for him. Uh, and, and so I shouldn't, and it would work out fine for me. So I, I guess um, proof of concept, uh, that, that, was, that was good advice by Dick. <laughs> All right, sounds great. And so, okay, so you founded Blackstone, you know, at this point now more than 35 years ago, and after this remarkable career at Lehman, and clearly, you know, clearly it's been an extraordinary success, but can you maybe share with us, what was your original motivation driving you to launch your own asset management firm? And 
notwithstanding your orientation towards solving really big problems, like, did you ever dream that you'd end up sitting here today? Well, I, I didn't dream I'd be sitting here uh, uh, today, uh, but, you know, I, 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 you know, everybody on this call is, is in some type of family business and these businesses get established one way or another. There's always a series of, of uh, factors that lead to that in mind. Uh, it was because uh, 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 Lehman was where I worked. I was head of the merger department at the time and um, uh, the, the firm got into real financial trouble uh, and uh, either you were gonna change the management uh, bring in some external capital or the firm was going to get sold. And I, I was asked uh, to sell it uh, uh, in three days uh, because we actually had no net worth left because of a bad trading position, which was a secret. Once those secrets uh, are no longer secrets, then you know your liability structure uh, typically uh, collapses, you lose your ratings, uh, and that's the end of your business. Uh, and and um, so, so um, you know, I sold the business uh, and and um, the, the American Express, when I, when I approached the American Express to sell it, I told them I didn't want to stay with the company because I, I didn't think selling it was the right solution. It needed a management change. And the guys 10 years older than me were on the board and they were worried about protecting themselves. Um, they, they didn't want to stand up and take on the CEO who was the problem. And uh, so, so we ended up selling the business. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, through a series of uh, misunderstandings, uh, if you will, uh, the board of American Express decided if I didn't stay, um, they weren't going to do the deal because I was pretty well known at that point. And, 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 you know, so, so I got stuck staying for a while and, and, you know, I, and I, I wanted to leave for the same reasons it had nothing to do with American express or, or anybody at, uh, Shearson. Uh, it, it had to do with my not wanting to be with the Lehman people, uh, yeah because I don't believe they, they did what, what I thought at the time, and this is a funny word, huh, uh, the moral thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you put yourself in jeopardy to do the right thing, to protect uh, an organization and its continuity. Uh, they chose not to do that. And so I didn't want to be with them. It's just as simple as that. So, so when I left, I had uh, pretty much of a non- competition agreement and so the only thing I could do was was in an area that we weren't which was in the buyout area and some MA uh, but we, we ended up doing a settlement uh, where, where American Express got part of the um, uh, the fees uh, for a limited period of time in the limit of my non-compete uh, but but basically I couldn't join a big organization the way I normally would. Um, and, and so it left me starting one uh, that was smaller uh, with the former chairman of Lehman who had been forced out, which created the problems. Uh, and, and so the two of us were just like 
basically <laughs> in, I, I think it was like 2,000 square feet. Uh, he had a secretary. I didn't because we capitalized ourselves with $400,000 of money, uh, which uh, if it's your own money, it's a lot. Uh, but in the great sweep of uh, the financial community, it's not much. Uh, and I just watched that money like in an hourglass, like the sand going out. Uh, and, you know, we we sent letters to uh, 500 companies. We thought we'd be deluged with business. And, and um, uh, most of these companies we knew and, and nobody responded. And I, I thought the mailing, this is, those were the days when the 1985, when there was mail uh, and not email, but snail mail. And I, I, I thought whoever brought it to the post office, it just got lost because nobody ever responded to it. So, so we called all these companies and at the end of it, we still didn't get any business. So for those who like starting their own company, uh, you know, talk about not much fun, talk about frightening. Um, you know, this is like cosmic rejection. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, so after a month of just sitting in an office with nothing happening, I said to my partner, I said, Pete, what do we do now? He said, we wait two more weeks, we call them all again. Uh, so that's a very innovative strategy. And we did get somebody to hire us uh, for uh, $50,000. Um, and that was less than any legal bill I had gotten in my career, uh, you know, at Lehman. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess the rest is history much painful uh, because entrepreneurship is, is, is only a great thing when it works. And, and nine out of 10 things don't work. Uh, and, and we had some close calls. Uh, now, of course, uh, one of the most uh, profitable and largest financial institutions, uh, certainly in the money management area in the world. Uh, and, you know, our market cap is around $74 billion today. Uh, uh, that's, um, that's a lot more than the 400,000. Uh, we started with, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the amount of rejection you take uh, on the way is, is truly a humbling yeah. uh, experience. And I, I'm grateful for everyone uh, who, who gives us uh, money. Uh, and I, I don't forget anyone who mm -hmm. gives us money. Now we have a lot of money. And, and I used to fly across the United States. Uh, to raise $5 million from somebody. Now, now we have people who give us a billion dollars or, or, or $2 billion, not everyone, but you know, some, some do. And, you know, I even got somebody to give us a commitment for $20 billion, which was the second biggest in history mm -hmm. uh, of, of, you know, sort of alternative asset money raising. But, uh, you know, part of, what you need to do uh, as a, as a uh, I guess you'd call it um, managing partner or whatever, you know, my, my title is, uh, you know, uh, is to have everybody else forget, for, not forget 
that every investor is is a privilege that they give us money and we must do a great job because our business is pretty simple we're like a restaurant uh we're only as good as our last meal uh nobody who gives you money cares about your life story um they, they really just want you to do what you promised them and, and so we have an obligation to to always make good on that promise. First, don't lose money. Uh, and secondly, you know, deliver the kinds of returns that that we tell people uh, we're capable of. And, and, and that plus innovation of going into new areas has, you know, sort of created us uh, way, way, way bigger than everybody else in the world. So people look at us and go, geez, you guys must be a big deal. I look at it just the opposite. Every day is a new day. If we don't do what we promise people, we, we won't end up having much in the way of assets. And that that ability to, to pass that on, that hunger, uh, that um, uh, commitment to excellence, um, that that uncompromising sense of you know energy, openness, integrity that it takes to get someplace. Everybody at the firm, and we have three thousand people now uh, directly, and and we control companies with another five hundred thousand. So this is actually not a little thing in, anymore, but we think about it like it's a little thing. Uh, so how have you, if, if I could just uh, double click on that, you know, how have you personally evolved your management style from a company in which people connected with you and um, kind of felt your energy and your value system to now a company that's managing thousands of employees? And how do you maintain that same value system, that same alignment? Well, actually, that's uh, that's part of the part of the trick. Uh, of running a, a great uh, uh, firm. Uh, and the answer is uh, we continue to be in everybody's face, uh, just like um, the people on this call uh, keep touch uh, with the people who work for them. And so, so in, in a way, uh, that immediacy of the small organization has to be uh, shared uh, with everybody. So what, what we do is we, we start each week with um, what we call uh, Blackstone TV, uh, which is uh, you have the leaders of the firm, uh, uh, our head of government relations, uh, sometimes our general counsel, um, uh, just uh, speak to everybody at the firm. Uh, video allows us to do that now. Um, with with zoom and uh and and so um we we basically we have fun we let people know it's like everybody's at management committee Here, here's what we're thinking about here's what's going on so we manage the business very horizontally uh and we're very open so that everybody feels uh that, that they're involved um uh with with what we're doing and, and shares our values uh, and our hopes and our aspirations, if you will. And, and then uh, each of our major businesses meets 
uh, for about an hour and a half, uh, sometimes two hours, uh, all day Monday. And, and there are like four of us who go to every one of those meetings. And, and if it's private equity, we go for all the private equity deals. Uh, we make comments. Everybody else can make comments. And, and so everybody at the firm sees a lot of us every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a great believer, not, not in me as a person. The firm's going way, way, way beyond me. Um, uh, everybody who's there uh, shares the same belief system. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, as we grow it, uh, we want to make sure that whatever we're doing can be folded into uh, the kinds of meetings we have on Monday so that everybody understands um, what we think about everything that's going on. We can have a dialogue. Uh, it's not meant to be didactic. Uh, I, I learned from all these meetings uh, for sure. Uh, and, and so um, in finance, unlike some of the people on this uh, call, uh, in, in finance, nothing stays the same. And there's no patents to protect you so people can imitate what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant uh, struggle uh, for innovation, uh, for seeing new patterns uh, about where you can invest. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's part of keeping uh, people excited. It was uh, fun today. I, uh, before I was doing this, it's the time of year where you decide who you're going to make partners at our kind of firm. Uh, and, and so I interview everybody. Uh, so this is a nice break for me. And uh, we have a, a remarkably talented younger person who happened to be in our private equity area. And uh, I, I said, um, I, I said, how do you like being at the firm? He's been there for, you know, sort of 12 years. He said, he said, Steve, it is so much fun. I'm excited every day. I'm doing all these new things and I'm doing some of the biggest things in the world and they're they're working out wonderfully and I just sort of like can't wait for tomorrow. And I said to myself, how wonderful that we can have amazingly talented people fired up. And uh, we we have that all over the firm because at our place, if you if you don't feel that way, you shouldn't be there right. uh, because it moves fast. It's like being on a really great uh, NBA team. Uh, and can you imagine being on the court if somebody's throwing you the ball and you don't bring your hands up uh, and it hits you in the face? That's the end of the point, uh, basically. But, uh, you know, you just can't be on the team. Right. And, and, and so we have that spirit it's it's not because of me it started because of me but you know i'm sort of getting older i mean i don't feel older but cdc says i'm elderly so i can get vaccine or something but (laughs) but now everyone who's who's at the firm has grown up in this system so if somebody else shows up and we make a hiring mistake and they don't have this drive uh, and, and they don't have this curiosity. Uh, they basically leave quite quickly, not because I have anything to do with it, 
where we have a system where it's sort of like, hey, who are you? That's not how we behave. That's not our values. And, you know, if they don't change, uh, then, then they can't stay. Right, right. And so I want to I want to come back to something you said just a little bit ago. You, I mean, you, you, something interesting about you know there are no patents in in finance, um, and and you constantly have to innovate. And certainly, uh, Blackstone has done incredible amounts of innovation. But I guess the other challenge of that, the other side is how do you manage risk as you're innovating? And you know you've developed a reputation for man uh, risk management and preserving capital, and obviously that's evidenced by the billions of dollars that institutional investors have entrusted you with. Um, uh, but what, what do you believe have been some of the keys uh, to your success in, in managing risk for three and a half decades? And after that, I'll probably follow on if we don't get to it, but and what are some of the greatest risks that you're concerned about today? So, Well, the way you learn to manage risk is by losing money. Try it. I don't want to. <laughs> right. But everybody, and I would say, I dare say, everyone on this call has lost money doing something, whether it's buying a stock that they thought was really good that went down, whether it was uh, introducing a new product in one of their companies they thought would be good and it wasn't, um, uh, whether they did a small acquisition and it didn't work out the way they thought. Um, wh whether they did something bigger and that didn't work out. Nobody in finance hits 100%. It's just not possible because there's so many decisions that get made. And, and so what happens is, is part of running a great uh, uh, business or, or running a great family group uh, is learning from your mistakes and and never making the same mistake twice. Uh, most human beings try not to even focus on their mistakes. It's quite fascinating, you know, or they blame somebody else. Uh, you know, you can't do that uh, because the only reason that person could make that mistake, if you're the person in charge, is that you put that person there mm -hmm. and you didn't train that person. So either you either hired the wrong person or they were the wrong type of person for the position or they weren't trained. Uh, it's, it's sort of like not their fault. And you also didn't put in uh, protective systems to protect them from bad judgments. Mm -hmm. So they visited that bad judgment on everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and so you have to understand that that's the dynamic and, and if there is a mistake, and, and in my case, the third deal we did, we lost 100% of our equity and I had people screaming at me. For those who don't like to be screamed at, because in my family, nobody ever raised their voice. I didn't realize till I went into college that that was odd. I, I never heard anybody. It was my two brothers, my parents. I, why would you ever raise your voice at someone? It just didn't make sense. I, I don't know. Um, but but I had people screaming at me, and and I decided that was never going to happen again. So so how do you deal with risk um, when, when you don't want to lose money? If that's a sine qua non of what you're doing, uh, well you 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 learn. Okay, 
there are usually uh, a variety of variables uh, in every decision uh, that, that involve downside. Uh, and what, what we do is, is we you know, analyze those. Uh, and basically, I only pay attention uh, to the top two or three because those are the ones that really make the difference. And, and we repeatedly have meetings to debate among ourselves. And everyone has to participate in the debate. I, I don't believe in, you know, like paid audiences. I don't need anybody at a meeting to watch the rest of us think about that, mm -hmm. right? They got to read the same stuff. They've got to be a participant. That's the way you train people. Uh, and um, uh, most variables, you know, there's, you know, what's the probability that bad thing is going to happen and how bad will the bad thing be hmm. and, and so you have that debate rigorously and if you have three different meetings like on the same thing by the time you finish with a bunch of smart people in a room and i recommend this for everybody who's who's on the call um you, you really know what your risk is and we at our firm um, no upside justifies risking financial capital. So, so I know I'm, I'm like an entrepreneur. People think I like risk. I've created a lot of stuff. Entrepreneurs hate risk. That's like BS. Entrepreneurs love risk. Who, who likes risk? You, you, you like a good return, but you don't want people screaming at you. And you're like a doctor. It's like, do no harm. Right. Don't, don't start out losing people's money. You'll find how unappealing that is. When they do it to me, I don't like that. So, so by having that kind of rigorous debate, uh, it's not even that you need a unanimous vote. What happens with smart people, you can see the risk and you say, well, it's just too much. We're not going to take it. The other side of the analysis, of course, the upside. And the upside is much easier uh, because there's no meeting that anybody ever goes to on a new proposal where there's not a, somebody believing there's an upside, mm -hmm. uh, right? And, and you do the same process. And, and by the time you have several meetings um, uh, with each meeting resulting in the proposers of the investment having to go back and do the research that further research that, that, that a kind of meeting I'm talking about uh, generates those questions. You know, you just keep learning and at a certain point you say, okay, we got it, we're okay, mm -hmm. we're okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what this process also does is it makes the approval uh, of go decisions, um, not the responsibility of the people who propose the investment uh, because, um, most people who walk in a room think it's their ability, their job is to get what they want approved, approved. Right. Uh, and, and they will shade uh, what they tell you. Uh, they, they, will, they will play with facts. Uh, they won't lie, uh, but, but they'll display them in a way that isn't actually balanced. Uh, in, in our place, we don't do this. Right. Because right. We, 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 when you finish looking at things, it's a personal 
It's non-personal. It's just about the goodness uh, of, of the investment. Uh, and it also protects everybody as people. If, if we get one of those variables wrong, we don't have as good an outcome. It's not the fault of the, quote, team. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of all of us. We had a fair shot on goal here. Right. Uh, and, and so we, we have a place, uh, you know, every year we're, we've been for the last whatever, uh, we've been voted the best place to work in finance. And and it's it's because we protect our people, and what we're interested in is a good outcome. And other Steve, other than you know deal specific risks, um, are there any broad based or sort of more macro risks that you're yeah. uh, concerned about today? Anything that uh, you could share on that front? Well, it changed a little with the U.S. elections, um, but but our number one risk is political, um, and. Um, that that may be an odd thing to say, but but you know, as being a U.S.-based company, we we had some pretty odd things uh, being discussed, uh, you know, by by the left wing uh, of of uh, one of our two parties, uh, and uh, you know, there there was a chance uh, that that we really could destabilize uh, our our own country. Uh, and the way the election turned out, um, uh, th- that's pretty much off the table. Um, but, um, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, Democrats, um, and, and it's pretty clear now Joe Biden's uh, much more of a centrist than the left side of his party. Uh, some good nominations uh, this last week, uh, you know, being president. Uh, and and on on the other hand, uh, this supposed uh, democratic blue wave, uh, just the opposite happened. Uh, the Republicans uh, who didn't like uh, those um, left wing uh, policies uh, basically um, uh, uh, decreased the majority of the Democrats in the House by two thirds. Um, uh, it appears that the Senate will be held uh, by the Republicans as well, which is a break, uh, you know, on some of these excesses that were discussed. Uh, 37 of our 50 legislatures now have more Republicans than uh, Democrats. They, they gained in this election. So, so the country, in a pretty remarkable thing, uh, decided they didn't want to run to the left. Uh, and, and, you know, ha- has now got more balance. Now, in certain states where some of your um, uh, uh, members may operate, like New York State, it's basically controlled by uh, uh, progressives with all kinds of strange uh, 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 proposals, which some of which have become law. Uh, and, 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 you know, the state is having an extremely hard time uh, with with COVID and and you know the prospects uh, at the moment don't appear you know particularly rosy. Uh, I'm hopeful uh, the same thing uh, will, will happen that there'll be a move uh, to the center. What I've learned from investing uh, globally is that uh, bad governments give you bad outcomes typically. 
as a business. And good out, good governments uh, have the opposite uh, effect. And, and so ironically, um, government becomes your biggest risk. They're, they're supposed to be representing you uh, and, and creating uh, sort of a better life for everyone. Uh, as, as it works out, that, that's the number one source of uh, risk. I mean, you've got the financial system uh, throughout um, certainly North America, uh, um, uh, Asia, um, most of Europe uh, is, is in pretty good shape as a result of the reforms after the global financial crisis. So, so finance doesn't appear to be the vulnerability. It's really where we leave ourselves uh, after this uh, COVID situation, um, which is, you know, really devastated uh, individuals and families and, and, and put a, um, a, a huge burden on society with, you know, increased uh, uh, alcoholism and drug use and, and depression and unemployment and all these things that go together. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a risk for a society, which also affects the political component. Right. Um, uh, and um, fortunately for all of us, uh, these remarkable people uh, in, the, in the pharmaceutical uh, and research world have come up with a miracle in less than a year. I mean, you've got two vaccines already, I guess the third with AstraZeneca uh, at 90%, the Oxford one, uh, with, with Pfizer and Moderna being 95% effective. Uh, and, and Johnson & Johnson will report, and I'm sure they'll have the same kind of results. There's a very effective a vaccine in China uh, that, that, that's been used, uh, and the Indians are going to come out soon with theirs. Uh, th this is just simply remarkable. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from watching the media, as we all do, you, you think that, um, you know, COVID, 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 if somebody won the presidency on that, is going to be with us forever. Mm -hmm. If you have 95% efficacy, and everybody took this uh, uh, vaccine, which everybody won't, but by the end of it, I think a lot of people are gonna be doing this, then the impact of COVID is gonna go away probably, uh, you know, within, if you had to guess, uh, 12 months. Right. Uh, and, and, and you probably will have uh, um, much more uh, economic growth, uh, although some, uh, will, will, will continue to be uh, uh, difficult and some patterns will change uh, in, in the economy. Will people travel as much even once you can uh, or, or will they like Zooming uh, altogether? Well, we just actually um, get a little deeper on that, on that global economic growth. So obviously COVID has impacted society and markets in a precedent manner. And obviously the vaccine will be a catalyst. But do you see any other catalysts for um, uh, increasing global economic growth? Because even before COVID, growth was sort of stagnating. And um, do you see any other catalysts in the picture? Well, you've already got interest rates that are at such record lows that, that you can't depend on that. Uh, the only way to stimulate growth 
I guess, as an economist uh, would say, is you need fiscal stimulus uh, to to start growth. Uh, I also think uh, that once people feel safe uh, from a health perspective, uh, they're going to come back uh, with a vengeance yeah. uh, on certain types of things. I mean, I, I have nice houses. I, I think that people on this call probably have nice houses. I, I don't know how many people want to be sentenced to be in their houses. Uh, and, and there are most of society that have places to live in that aren't so big. Uh, yeah. And once you tell people, you know, it's sort of like you blow a whistle and you say all safe, that's not going to be in the next three months. Uh, but as this vaccine rolls out, uh, I don't think you can underestimate mm -hmm. the impact of deferred purchases, uh, deferred experiences, uh, and, and people wanting to uh, reestablish, uh, you know, uh, more aspects of what we used to call uh, a normal life. Now, you, you won't get stores back in malls in the same way because you know you, you don't need to do all that it's efficient to do online uh, uh, mm -hmm. purchasing that doesn't mean all malls will be gone and all retail will be gone that won't happen but the mix uh it will certainly not dramatically swing back in that uh that industry but a lot of other things uh you know i i, I think will experience a real uh, uptick. Mm -hmm. And and I want to uh, just you touched on on rates and the fact that the Fed and other measures, central banks, have basically cut rates to zero. So given the implication of all risk assets in this kind of low return environment, um, you know, how are you managing expectations of your investors who are used to considerably higher returns, especially over a thirty five year or thirty year period? That corresponded with one of the me most meaningful declines in interest rates. You know, um, how are you managing and thinking about those expectations? Well, I, I think what you have to do uh, is you have to be, if, if you're talking about assets uh, that are equities, uh, equity related assets, you're going to have to be involved with asset classes that have more than normal absolute growth uh, because that's the way you're going to be able to deal with interest rates when they start turning around. And you have to make sure you don't set them up at such ridiculous valuations uh, that you're in a value trap in, in that regard. Uh, but, but you know, when, when, when you have interest rates that swing up, nobody's even mentioned that interest rates can go up. I don't know. I've been around doing this stuff over 50 years. I found they go up <laughs> and, they, and they go down. Uh, and, and right now, everyone's assumptions is that they'll never go up. What I've also found is that smart people are never wrong with their logic. They make mistakes on their assumptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the assumption that rates will stay longer for long, uh, what is it, lower for longer, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. I'm not fighting that. But, but what I'm saying, when you rack up all these deficits and, and you have most countries, uh, you know, fiscal situation sort of a mess with, with big annual deficits, 
uh, usually that results in something happening, whether it's higher interest rates or, or, or inflation or something, you know, doesn't, doesn't just stay where it is uh, uh, today, where there's slack capacity today uh, globally. Uh, for for manufacturing to the extent manufacturing is important, although though it's a minority of of, of global economies is with services uh, uh, being uh, higher. So so I think you know um, I, the second thing with with our types of businesses where you can control the assets rather than just buy securities um, that 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 you have to have very robust. Uh, 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 management plans, uh, business plans, strategic tactical plans to add value uh, to assets. If you don't have that capability, you you won't be able longer term, I, I think, to do as well uh, as as you used to. We look at it and say, okay, what does it take? I guess that's the name of the book. Uh, you know, uh, what does it take for us to to solve that uh, puzzle? that you just put on the table. Well, you better buy right. You better be in good neighborhoods where, where growth is high. And you better have a plan to make that operating asset better uh, than, it, than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think you can do that. We've managed to do that. I was just talking to this morning, another one of these people I was interviewing who work at the firm, and he was telling uh me how uh, he's worked on a deal and he just you know talked to the investment bankers in his country and one of our assets we're going to take public at seven times profit now part of that is because multiples went up in, in india and we've done a great job uh with this uh, uh company uh but but at some point it's going to be you know like a a, a little harder um uh and um uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll find a way through improvements to make sure the returns remain good. And and you mentioned earlier, you know, again, I forget the exact word you use, but above normal growth rates um, or above average, whatever. Uh, where are you finding those above average growth rates? Where are you finding yield? And how should how do you think investors should be readjusting their portfolios in this type of market? Well, those are two different questions. Um, uh, the, the first is that we're, we're, we're finding um, um, these types of um, what I would call very successful investments by, by staying in successful neighborhoods. Uh, so, so we have a big emphasis on, um, on technology uh, and life sciences uh, uh, currently. Um, this is where some very innovative, interesting things are, are happening uh, and, and where we can go places through our knowledge. For example, in life science, our group, everybody's a PhD. Forget guys like me who are just generic financial people. Uh, you know, we don't add that much. Uh, but we've got people picking molecules uh, that are right uh, to develop uh, and test 94% of the time. That's that's pretty uh, uh, astonishing, uh, and um, you know we have a, a, a growth equity business that um, um, 
you know, that, that you should invest in. Uh, I'm doing it. Uh, you know, where our first two deals are huge home runs because what we do at Blackstone, which is different, uh, is, you know, for example, if somebody invests with us, we sweep them into uh, our discount purchasing program because we're one of the biggest business groups in the world. So we buy things really cheaply and we let anybody who, who's a portfolio company benefit in that. Uh, and, you know, we also have all kinds of expertise uh, that, that, that companies uh, can use. And, and people are happy to uh, uh, invest with us uh, because we can cross-sell their products within our own group. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we start out with almost guaranteed, in certain cases, uh, uh, products, uh, successes for, for companies that join uh, the group. So, so all business people, everybody on your call is probably pretty clever. Uh, we all find a way uh, to win. Uh, we've got a lot of structural ways uh, of doing it. Right. And, and it, you said those are two separate questions. So I, I gather the second question is how should investors be readjusting their portfolios in this type of market? Uh, I, I, I think, I think um, as long as rates remain where they are, which is very low, and governments are flooding, uh, you know, their economies, you, you, you stay uh, in equities and you enjoy the ride. Because you've got it all working for you. Forget valuation in that sense. However, when any of those factors change, then then you no longer uh, are in the same super stimulated world. I don't know how long that will go on. Uh, when you see interest rates starting to go up, um, the chance that equities will continue performing as well as I think lower, much lower. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I would keep, uh, you know, bond portfolios, uh, reasonably short. You don't earn, earn much anyhow. But what, what, what's an extra 1% of return to take duration risk? I mean, really, mm -hmm. uh, you know, families don't think like that. Right. Uh, you know, you're playing for the long term. So th th that's, I, I would look at, at those macro changes and, and you don't have to be a genius they announce them mm -hmm. and your job is to do something when they announce them not assume they're either they're kidding or this time is different it won't have any effect because the ride's been so good yeah yeah no that's that's uh couldn't agree more um just let me change subjects to something quite different i want to come to the geopolitical conversation, particularly because of uh, your work, uh, through your work at Blackstone and through your philanthropic initiatives with the Schwarzman Scholars, you've had deep relationships with the leadership in China, and you've kind of had this front row seat uh, to their evolution on the global stage. So considering, you know, some of the recent challenges and kind of the last administration with China and certainly in the last few years, and now with this new administration in place, what, what's your personal outlook for the U.S.-China relations, and and what does that mean for investors globally? Well, I I think there's no doubt uh, that, um, that that 
that the U.S. and, and perhaps uh, a lot of the West uh, has moved into um, a zone where they recognize that longer term uh, uh, that they, they will be uh, competing uh, with uh, China. Uh, that, that doesn't mean uh, uh, that um, you won't be able to find uh, common areas uh, where two countries can work together uh, and, and, and regions can work together. Um, uh, and you know, some of those may change. Um, as the Chinese tell me, uh, we don't want to be American or, or we would. Uh, so they have a different form of government. It's been around over, you know, in one form or another, from the emperor to the Communist Party uh, for over 5,000 years. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a distinguished history. Uh, and historically, they've always been, as best one can figure it out, 20 to 25%. Uh, of the global economy. Uh, so, so China looms uh, very large. Um, uh, we, we've had a change in the United States, uh, uh, and, uh, which I guess is officially January 20 to the uh, uh, Joe Biden and, and, and the Democrats, and they announced their foreign policy team uh, yesterday. Uh, and, and, you know, these are smart, uh, thoughtful people. Uh, and, and they 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 speak uh, relatively softly um, compared to um, the current administration, which the Canadians have had a lot of experience with. Um, uh, the, the the Congress in the United States um, still shares the same basic views uh, on a variety of issues with China uh, that. Um, they had before the election and after the election. Uh, I think they'll be expressed differently. I think there'll be much more coordination between the United States uh, and, and its allies. And, and I think uh, China um, uh, will um, uh, continue on its current path, which involves more internalization uh, as a result of being denied you know, certain high-tech uh, semiconductor and other products. Um, and China will continue to grow uh, faster than any major country uh, in the world, uh, significantly so. Um, this year, that'll be the only major country that's growing. Uh, they'll be up 2% probably uh, this year, despite mm -hmm. COVID. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and, and so China will grow. Uh, you know, I, I believe there'll be more uh, re-engagement uh, be between the, the new Biden administration uh, and China. What that results in uh, is too early to tell. There'll be areas where the two countries, um, which comprise together, just to shock you, uh, if you learn nothing else uh, in this call, uh, China and the U.S. together are depending upon which set of numbers you're using um, is somewhere between 35 and 40% of the entire world's economy. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. think about that. There, there, there are, I guess, somewhere around 220 countries, something like that. And um, well, so 1% of the countries have 
um, have 35 to 40% of the whole pie. So, so what that tells you is that there will be relationships between those two countries uh, and their allies. Uh, and the only question is how much accommodation where they'll be in either side to the, uh, you know, to, to, to the issues that are uncompromisable. Um, and what can you do around that? So China's been opening its financial sector. It's slow, but it's coming. Uh, they've given a bunch of people licenses. On the other hand, on certain tech areas, they want to maintain control of what their people know and hear and see, and they are not going to vary on that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole bunch of things that, that they will over time do by way of reforms. And in the shorter term, there are all kinds of things you can do on climate, uh, on health, uh, on terrorism, uh, where our interests are basically aligned. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll find those uh, and, and reestablish um, uh, better uh, balance. Uh, there'll be some like um, uh, human rights, uh, where, where I think. Uh, uh, we, we will not see eye to eye uh, mm -hmm. on a lot of that, uh, though uh, th there may be some areas where we can. But fundamentally, they have a different attitude to a classic Western uh, a country in that area. Yeah. Um, two more questions I want to just cover off with you is because um, I see we're kind of edging in on time. Um, one, it just if you were. Uh, restarting Blackstone today, what, what would you be doing differently? And I, essentially I'm asking, you know, what's the vision for the next 30, 35 years? Um, but would love to hear your thoughts on what you would do differently if you were restarting today. Well, geez, I'd be successful right out of the box and have <laughs> not, I wouldn't have the scars. Uh, <laughs> I'd know what to do because everybody on the call knows uh, as, as you become more experienced, you learn how to do things better. Uh, mm -hmm may miss something that's a late breaking news item, uh, but your basic managerial skills are better, your ability to deal with people, uh, anticipate things. It, it's the nature of experience. Uh, you know, in most cultures, it, it's sort of venerated. Uh, and and um, uh, so, so I, I think if we started Blackstone again, um, we, we'd have a different change in focus uh, as and what, what we did 35 years ago, you know, you'd have much more uh, sort of a, a, a tech, life science, um, growth equity uh, uh, focus. Uh, we're, we're, we're the largest, um, Blackstone is the largest um, uh, owner of real estate in the world, hmm. uh, just by the by. Hmm. Uh, we're really not a private equity firm. They call us that. Uh, we have almost $600 billion uh, of assets under management. And that understates really what we are, because that, that, that would be uh, asset under management would be uh, the equity, in, for example, in a, in a company you own. It wouldn't be the value of the company. I mean, right. it, it wouldn't include the debt and the capital structure. Um, 
and and so we're probably getting a lot closer to a trillion dollars. I mean, this is big numbers. These are U.S. dollars, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so so you know, I, I, I would do the same thing in terms of identifying asset classes that are really going to do well. Uh, the strategy we have is still the right strategy. Uh, which is why we're continuing with it, which which is always going into new areas when they're either cyclically depressed and coming out. Well, one other helpful hint to you is don't pick bottoms. One, you're not that smart. Two, nobody knows. And three, um, sometimes you stay at a bottom mm -hmm. for 10 years. Yeah. You, you pick the bottom. It just... <laughs> didn't come out uh and there's nothing like having dead money of real estate in houston for example you could have bought 1982 or three when 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 uh oil and gas prices plummeted um in 1992 office buildings in houston were the same price uh right i you know, so so picking bottoms isn't a good idea another lesson for you which yeah. I knew then, but I know better now, is, is when things are at cyclical lows, wait until they start recovering. It, it doesn't matter if you miss the first 10 or 15% uh, of, of profit uh, from the bottom. What's important is that the circumstances in that area have changed. Uh, and and you, can, you can get on that train <laughs> at any stop. Right. right. And you load the boat uh, as it's coming out of the bottom, but you don't load the boat at, on the way down. And when it at, is at the bottom, because, you know, if you buy too early, you waste all your time and have the psychic pain of losses waiting for things to turn. Yeah. And if you buy at the bottom, unless it bounces, you don't make anything for a, long, a while anyhow. It's easier to just always make money, and, <laughs> right? And, and to do that, you, you just wait till they start going up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. Could I? Let me just ask one last question because I we can't particularly because this lunches with legends is a charitable endeavor. Um, I think it's appropriate to just uh, uh, mention. First of all, you signed your name to the giving pledge, and you have made some of the most transformational gifts. So. Maybe if we could just close up with um, what does success and impact in philanthropy mean to you? And, and how do you measure it? I mean, the MIT, you know, uh, college in, in artificial intelligence, like how do you measure the success of these things? I mean, they are, sound remarkable, but what does it mean to you? Well, uh, I, I, I tend to get attracted to things that, um, that I see going on where I, can, I either can anticipate something very bad happening and want to put something in place to stop it. Uh, uh, or or uh, I could see the benefit of doing something that's very substantial. So, so just by uh, examples, uh, you know, enforcement scholars in China, I, you know, sort of 2011, I, I sort of anticipated that if China was going to grow very rapidly, uh, eventually, they were going to create friction 
with the rest of the world. And I wanted to put something in place uh, to, to have future leaders um, in, in the world, uh, you know, sort of graduate school level, like the Rhodes, um, you know, sort of see what's going on in China and go back to their countries and explain to them what China was thinking, but also feedback loop to China to tell them when they were doing something that wasn't really selling. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was, you know, trying to protect the world. Mm -hmm. And and we, we still serve that function now. Uh, almost everybody else has been marginalized and, and we're in good graces uh, in China. We just, um, if you can believe this, we, we had, um, sort of a 4% investment, 4% uh, acceptance rate in this program, more competitive than Harvard or, wow. or Stanford. And we made all these, we made offers to uh, roughly, uh, you know, 156 people. We got 153. I mean, this is like surreal. And they're all from those kind of uh, very excellent uh, university. So that was one thing. Uh, but the College of Computing at MIT um, is based around artificial intelligence, which has the opportunity to, to, um, to uh, uh, be a force for good uh, using AI to develop new medicines and efficiencies, or a force for not so good mm -hmm. with uh, large scale unemployment potentially and other things. So, so, so being involved in that, both on the technical side, but also on the ethical side, uh, to, to train uh, scientists to be sensitive to what they're doing, as well as the business community, I, I think you can measure how that's uh, going to work. Uh, I did a program at Yale uh, where I went to college, uh, and I was, I'm sort of loyal to them. You know, I turned up as sort of a bumpkin. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I left with a really good set of values and, and uh, a lot of knowledge. Uh, and uh, what, what I'm doing there is, is, is building their first um, uh, student center and a performing arts center. And it's going to be the center of campus. They never had a center. They operated through the Oxford Cambridge uh, sort of um, uh, college system uh, without a central core. Uh, so now we're going to have a central core. We can have graduate students, professors, and undergraduates all be in the same place. It'll handle thousands of people. It'll be open most of the day and night. Uh, it'll have all kinds of things. All the clubs from the university will meet there. It, it, it will be the hub, and it will change people's relationships. It'll change the university. Uh, it's got the per perfect location, right? Uh, you know, in the center uh, of, of the university. And I've done something very large for uh, Oxford, um, uh, combining all of their humanities uh, faculties uh, and, and doing a big performing arts center and starting another AI ethics uh, operation. But there, uh, it'll be domiciled out of the philosophy department, which is number one in the world. And their humanities area is number one in the world. And, and so uh, something magical is, is going to come out by tapping into Oxford uh, in all of their major areas uh, to focus uh, on what's good or bad for AI. So, so I, I do things um, 
because I think uh, we can we can affect large scale forces uh, and and nobody else uh, in effect can do those because yeah. because they haven't done them right. and you know you have to be a little deranged to do these types of things <laughs> because when I think about them and develop them they're very expensive right. uh, and usually somebody says well, you're going to pay for all this, aren't you? And you look at them and you say, you must be kidding. <laughs> this stuff is like, you know, at MIT, I, you know, I was worried about U.S. competitiveness. I wanted to make sure MIT had a dream that they'd love. You know, I was working with the president. I said, what's your dream? Because I saw all the AI being developed in China. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, my dream is to... Uh, I'd love to double my faculty in computer science. I said, okay, what else? He, he said, well, you know, I want, I need a bunch of these people to, to basically take my entire university and make it AI enabled. So we'll be the best generator of knowledge in the world. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. He said, yeah. And he said, you know, what's going to happen? I said, what? He said, every other major university is going to compete with us because they don't want us to be number one. They want to be number one. And he said, this will result in a huge explosion of money and effort put into this area, which is important for uh, our national interests, uh, but also for science generally. So I looked at that and I said, okay, this this is terrific. I said, how much does it cost? He said, I don't know. It's just a dream. Uh, I said, well, price it out. So it was a billion one. So so he said, well, why don't you give me a billion one? I, I said, why don't, why don't you just sort of jump off a ledge? Uh, <laughs> I, I said, uh, I, 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 I said, I, I'm not going to give you a billion one. Uh, and, you know, so we negotiated. I gave him 350. And then because I'm not a scientist, I said, if I'm going to give you 350, you have to put up 350. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't put up 350, you're the guys who know what they're doing. Right. I just sort of have a hunch. And and I said, if you put up 350 and I put up 350, then it's, you know, we're at 700 and we're in great shape. We'll raise the other four, 400, which is what we're doing. And, you know, so they they did it in three weeks. Amazing. They put the money up. So, so. Each of these projects, you know, over the last few years, I've done like a billion dollars, uh, you know, of, of, of my own money uh, and, you know, created these really marvelous things, you know, th- for the good of the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I just uh, respond to things where I think there's a compelling need that nobody else is either filling or probably will. Yeah. It's it's no different than when we go into a new area in our business and people aren't filling it. I usually like going in first and yeah. if I see it uh, and um, those those have almost all of them have worked uh, hugely. So that's what I do. It's sort of fun. Steve, that is fantastic on behalf of all of us. Kudos to you for all that you do for our country, our world, uh, Blackstone for your investors, really. And thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights with us. We 
really appreciate your generosity of time and wisdom and hope to do it again soon. Um, and uh, for all the participants, really, thank you for joining us. And if you haven't yet donated, please do so by going to the top right of the website, click on the link that was sent to you. And lastly, we'd love your feedback on how we can make these conversations better every time. So please complete the survey. At the bottom, make sure, pick up one of these, absolutely, the uh, Steve's book. By the way, anybody donates $1,000 or more by end of the day, I'll personally send you a copy of Steve's book. And um, really, Steve, thanks again for your support of Lunches with Legends and the thank charitable projects it's sponsoring. And thank you very much. And, and you know, if, if, you, if you want over time, uh, you, you, you should invest in our Blackstone products. And I say that because I do. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not because you should. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, these are good things to do with your family's uh, assets. That's what my family is basically invested in. Thank you for joining us today. We are grateful to each of you and to each of the generous sponsors that made today's program a reality. As a reminder, 100% of the proceeds from Lunches with Legends supports pediatric mental health, improving the lives of children and families in our communities. If you haven't already, please consider donating and supporting our efforts by visiting luncheswithlegends.com. Finally, to get exclusive access to our family office events and our annual conference, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list on the Prime Quadrant website, which you can access by visiting primequadrant.com.